Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Guardian Mindset Podcast. Now, listen, I got a special one for you today, and that is the man, the myth, the legend, Paul Butler. He is my favorite, my most favorite conference speaker. I think, I think he's, he's tailing me around the country. I'm really tailing him around the country. We're going to talk about leadership today. And before we start talking, as you know, I always got to open up with my quote. And this one comes from Douglas MacArthur because it fit, it fit you perfect, Paul. A true leader has confidence to stand alone, the courage to make tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. He does not set out to be a leader, but becomes one by the equality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. How about that? I love that one. I think when I first saw that, because I spend maybe just a little bit too much time looking for quotes, I thought that that really matched exactly what I've learned from you over the years. So for everybody that's listening in, I'll let Paul give you a little bit of history and his background, but Paul and I have been interacting around the country and, and basically at the FBI leader conference or the National Academy. And he's just got, listen, I can listen. I can listen to this guy talk forever. And it's not because of his Southern charm, bless your heart. It's not because of his ability to talk about leadership, but because, listen, right now, more than ever, we need to find this way forward. But the way forward is not a gift. It just doesn't drop out of the sky. It's going to be earned. And there's no greater person to talk to us about that than Paul. Now, last year, Paul was one of the keynotes at our Yusufor Summit. And did a phenomenal job. In fact, I will tell you that people around the country said that his keynote changed their way of doing business. And more importantly, what I really liked about it is that I've had people that I've known forever who called me up and said, you know what, Eric, I really needed that right now. I'm a lieutenant in a middle management position. I'm kind of not at the top and I'm not at the bottom. I don't know what to do and I don't know where we're going. And I really just needed that little kick in the ass to get myself going. And so, so for that regard, we're bringing Paul back a second year for a leadership. We're going to have a live podcast with Paul at the Use of Force Summit this year in the evening of December 1st. And we're going to deal with those issues of leadership. So, Paul, first of all, welcome. And thank you for being here. And... Do me a favor, tell the listeners a little bit about your wonderful, amazing law enforcement history. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for this opportunity. And most importantly, I want to thank you for the friendship. I think you know, as well as uh, most anyone who attends conferences and certainly in the speaker world, that that's sometimes a lonely business. It's fairly competitive and you get used to kind of walking on stage, walking off stage, figuring your way out to the hotel and then to the airport and you fly home. And you sometimes don't kind of get to, to enjoy the shade of the tree that you helped plant while you were there. But, but you have been one of those consistent presences in my life uh, that includes me, involves me, updates me. And, and I have to say, I feed off of your energy. I mean, it, I, a lot of people in my life are like a shot of Red Bull. <laughs> You're like an IV of Red Bull. All right. Red and, Bull, and, Monster, Bang, whatever it takes, you know. <laughs> all mixed in together. But I love, I love what you bring to a conference and certainly what you bring to my life. So I wanted to thank you for that to start with. Oh, uh, my pleasure. I don't no. know that it works that way, but my pleasure. 
<laughs> well, I also want to thank you for that opportunity to do the Use of Force Summit uh, last year when the world kind of fell apart for speakers. I mean, I'm I, a guy who does a lot of in-person stuff. I didn't like the video stuff, uh, more of a face made for radio type thing. Um, certainly, I feed off of the energy of an audience, so I didn't think it would translate very well onto the small screen. But you gave me that uh, confidence. Uh, that's one of the things you mentioned in the quote you gave is that a leader has to have that confidence to stand alone, that courage to be able to do that. And you, you gave me that out of that simple presentation or what seemed like a simple presentation to me, I have had probably the most feedback from across the country. So I know that I got to make a difference because I know you're making a difference in this platform. So I am grateful for that opportunity. Awesome. Uh, you know, I, for everybody that's paying attention, if you really want to see, you know, him and his stellar, unique ability, uh, make sure you check out his website, www.paul-butler.com. And he's just the most charismatic individual. And, and, you know, if you read his, if you read his bio, one of the things that you'll see is his desire for positive attitude. And the quote that you have is even better leadership for a lifetime, how the past prepares us for the future. And, and if you look back at, at your history, um, did you really be, you became a police officer like the rest of us at 22 years of age, right? Well, yeah, a month after I turned 21, I actually at 22, I became a chief of police. So, uh, it, it was, a, an accelerated Wait pace. A minute. Let's, let's say that again. You got hired at 21 and became the chief at 22. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> uh, it, uh, obviously it was a small town, Ainer, South Was there Carol. anybody else available? <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I say it was a, a three full-time, uh, person department and three part-time. And, uh, so it wasn't a huge department, but I always say if it were so easy, why didn't everyone else do it? Right. I promise <laughs> they didn't have yes. less experience. Yes. Right. Uh, but, but it was, uh, you know, a, a small town where I was born and raised my family, uh, you know, raised their children here. My dad raised corn and kids on Butler Road. That's where I live today. Uh, my sister lives next door to me. My brother lives across the farm. I mean, I raised my girls out here on Butler Road. And um, so we were known by reputation as a, a solid family, one that pays their bills, ones that uh, meets the expectation, does what they're supposed to. So the reputation I rode on initially was the one that my parents laid before me, right? right. And, um, yeah, but I, I was a, a, a mayor ran, Johnny Mae Timmons. She was a fantastic uh, person in my life. She ran on the platform that if she became mayor, she would uh, dismiss the unpopular chief and make me the chief. And she won that election. And then she, so she said, I have to offer it. I have to do it. And then I really felt like, gosh, if that's what they wanted, then why not give it a try? I didn't realize all that goes with it. Yeah. But being the chief of police at 22 was the youngest in the history of South Carolina and a record that will never be broken, Eric Daigle, because the I day... I don't think it can, since you can't oh. even get hired till 21. <laughs> well, the day they promoted me the chief, they passed laws to keep that from ever happening again. <laughs> right? I uh, would expect so that, yes. So, <laughs> so tell me about that. Like, in your early days as a 22-year-old chief, what was your biggest challenges that you faced Um it, with your lack of experience and maybe even lack of knowledge in that time? Well, it was 100% a lack of both. Uh, I thought that the lack of experience was going to hurt me, but it, it's actually lack of uh, life experience, knowledge, that, that really prepares you for a job like that. Right. There is such a thing as professional maturity. I didn't understand it at the time, but 
there are reasons that people move through the ranks and kind of experience those things. It's healthy for a leader to do right. those. Right. And there, when I was promoted, I want you to know, I had to spend the first uh, part of my focus trying to win over the followers that I had, my coworkers. I promise it wasn't a popular decision with them. Right. I can, I can imagine that you would have, I mean, thank God you only had a few officers to challenge the fact that you were the chief, but I can assume that they were all older than you. Oh, 100%. Some with as much as 20 years experience, uh, you know, all of them would have probably been better choices. Uh, <laughs> Come on, right. I don't think but, so. Well, but, but I say this, Eric, and this is one thing I want the listeners to really key in on that, because if they ever find themselves in a position to do something new or great or do it early in their careers. These days, uh, I can remember when I started, you used to see it took five and 10 years to become a corporal or a sergeant, right? right? There was this incredible log jam of everyone waiting to get up there. And while they were in that incubator, they were getting all this experience that they were going to bring to the job. Right. Well, that's not the case anymore. I'm meeting people who are sergeants and lieutenants who've been on the job five years. Right. 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 Well, this is the most important take away from that time because I was over my head. I, I didn't need to be in that position, right? Um, I'm not sure I needed to manage a hot dog stand at that point, much less <laughs> run a police department. Uh, but the thing that I said that got me there, this is one of the things I want them to focus on. If you ever want to do anything new or great or quickly in your career, all my life, people have been able to outdrive me and outshoot me and uh, outrun me and even outtest me. Th those aren't the things that took me into that position. Right. What I made it a, a point to be is the, the one that no one could ever out attitude, right? I didn't want them to have a better attitude every day, showing up with the, the best attitude, taking a bad situation, making it better, taking a unpleasant task and making that better. If you really do it that way, people want you to be in charge. Right. They, right. they, they just don't it, need. It, you don't have to go to a class to get that. No, it's a personal decision we make every day. And usually most of us make it dozens of times a day. And, and people actually want to follow a leader with that attitude and desire, right? If or, they believe they'll use that position to make things better for them, then they want to elevate you into greater positions. All right. So 22 years old, police chief, how long did you stay there? I, st I stayed a year. Uh, and it wasn't, they, you know, weren't unhappy with me. It's just that I realized I was way too far over my head. And, and so I, where'd your career bring you? Well, what I thought was going to be the key to my success is I just need to go get more education. Uh, so I went with the Horry County police department, started over as a patrol officer because they paid for you to go to college at the oh, time. Awesome. Okay. Good well, kid. Yeah, but I realized that, uh, you know, you can have degrees are great. I love education. I'm certainly a big fan of it. I have two degrees now, but I realized you can, you can have more degrees than a thermometer and you, you don't necessarily make a difference in the world, right? Yeah, the, you're absolutely right. It's always going to be how you internalize it and how you match it with your own compassion. You mentioned in that quote earlier. And one of the quotes that I uh, saw at the FBI at National Academy when I attended was, Great, because they knew that when you left there, you were going to kind of think you'd separated yourself from the crowd. You're going to be something a little better or a little different. And they would remind you repeatedly that the people who are around you, the, certainly the people who follow you, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Love it. 
So you've got to go back and talk about not your knowledge, but what you're going to do with it to improve their situation. Then all of a sudden that you're not talking about your degrees, you're talking about the difference you can make. So I'm going to do this one a little different with you. Cause usually, you know, I had chief Reynolds and Lieutenant Kevin Dillon, and, you know, I talk about their, you know, their advice for people and the whole nine yards, but listen, there's a lot of people listening to this that may never get to see you on the big stage. And what I would like to talk about is give you an opportunity to talk about the four easily identifiable positions of a team, because you know what? There's so many amazing things I've learned from, from listening to you, but it's time for a little bit of check and, and everybody listening needs to, to talk about and understand how you evaluate team leaders, team builders, teammates in trouble. And, yeah. and I think because, you know, listen, podcasts are not that long and it's not, you know, you and I could talk forever. Could we, we get up on the stage and get going, but we're not going to have these listeners for very long. And I, I, I spent the day with my team talking about, Hey, listen, what's, what's the best that we're going to get out of Paul Butler for a podcast. Listen, you can come to the summit and you can see the rest of them. And we all agree that your team member model is something that should get as much publicity as possible. So I'm going to do something that you don't often hear. And that is, I'm going to shut up and allow you to share your knowledge. Well, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you highlighting that because while I was sitting home during the COVID times, I started kind of really reassessing the training because uh, to me, the training world should change with the law enforcement world right. as that society changes around us. We can't just go back at, out and keep talking about the lessons of Ferguson, right? The world's right. changed since then. We, we better start bringing something new to it. So I wanted something universal and I wanted something that applied not just in their work lives, but also in their home lives because people are struggling there too. And so I started thinking about how do I easily identify every player that you ever encounter in your life, or whether they're a suspect or whether they're a coworker, you better be able to identify these I people. I hope they're not one and the same. <laughs> right. Sometimes, unfortunately, they are. But you better be able to identify them, not just with a quickly, you better be able to do it with a high degree of accuracy, right? So the first thing I identified were the team leaders in my life. Those are the ones who are out front. They're mission oriented. I mean, they're those strong voices. Eric, you're naturally a team leader guy. I, I listened to you. You need those people in your life. But the only thing they have in common with one another is they sometimes will hurt your little feelings with their feedback. Right. I, I, I might be a victim. I might be responsible <laughs> for that. Yes. I might okay. hurt a feeling or two along the way. Yes. But, but you see a guy like me needs a guy like you in his life. I, I gravitate toward a guy like you because every now and then someone has to let me know it's just not all puppy dogs and lollipops. Right. Love it. Okay. Love it. So, so those team leaders are incredibly important in your life. The second one are team builders. Those are the people who aren't as mission focused. They care more about the women and the men than they do the mission. Sometimes a team leader realizes that long after we're gone, this mission still has to continue on. So everyone here is replaceable, including me, but the mission has to be sustainable. Well, team builders actually are more concerned about the women and the men bringing the best out of them. They're motivators and they inspire others not to be as good as they can be to be better than they would be without them. Right? Right. That's naturally who I like to be in life. I want to be a motivator that when other people are successful, that is when I feel the most success. The other uh, group on that team, the other position that I see everyone play, and their teammates are what people call team players. 
uh, they're sitting there. They sometimes don't understand the mission. They don't necessarily care about the women or the men, but they realize they have a job to do. And whether they understand it or not, when the coach makes a call, they work their hardest to make that play a success. Whether they agree with it or not, whether they like it or not, whether they understand it or not, they don't want the team to suffer a loss to teach the coach a lesson, right? And I think that, that you should have more team players inside of your organization than anything else. Not everyone can be a leader. Not everyone is meant to be a builder, but you should have everyone in the mindset to be a, a team player or a teammate. And then the final position is that if you're not playing one of those, if you're not leading, if you're not uh, inspiring and motivating, if you're not supporting and encouraging, well, then you'll be in trouble. You're just bringing trouble to the team. And there's no other way to say it, whether it's through a lack of action or whether it's your voice saying, questioning the mission or pointing out problems and placing blame and claiming, hey, this is going to fail. Just watch. You're sitting back watching things fail so you can look like a genius. Uh, there's nothing that makes you look more like trouble than that. So this is the example I use. There's 65 players on an NFL football team, 65. But every one of them can be broken into those four positions. I do right. not know who the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is, but I know who the team leader is. It's Tom Brady, right? And you the way just I had know to it do is that on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> well, I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, coming out of that Northeast, I guess that hurts a little bit. But I want you to know how I know Tom Brady is the leader. It's not necessarily because he's the best player on the team. I don't know if he's the best athlete at all. I doubt that he is. What I do believe is that he calls the shots and he lives by them, good or bad. He owns them. And when someone's not playing up to their potential, he calls them out. If you ever listen to an interview, that guy is the Eric Daigle of the NFL, right? He expects perfection and he demands focus. Well, I figure that the coach is a team builder. He's somebody who's looking around, inspiring and motivating others, just kind of letting them be themselves. And then he puts teammates around them to be successful that say, look, I don't understand this guy. I don't know if I agree with this guy, but I better play hard for this guy, right? And then you look at the other position, trouble. On every NFL team, no, irrespective of the talent, no matter how great an athlete they are or how much potential, there's someone who is a toxic problem inside that locker room. And what do they do with them? They cut them. Get rid no of matter them. how good they are. Right. They send them out to be someone else's trouble. Those are the positions that I have identified. Uh, and a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Marshall Jones, he was one who heard me speak in Florida. And he contacted me. He's doing this in one of the doctor briefs. You know, he's putting it out there. He, he likes it too. And he said he believes there's another classification, not necessarily position, but a classification that okay. he calls bench warmers. They're observers. They're sitting there watching everything go on, and they're not really sure which position they're going to play. And the truth uh, that he speaks is that those people who are sitting there watching the game go on and haven't decided where they fit in, trouble will always take them. You better reach out and go ahead and win them onto your team quickly. If you're a leader, engage them. Go ahead and involve them. If you're a team builder, inspire them, motivate them. If you're a teammate, suck them in and get them to encourage and support because trouble is always looking to expand the team. Yeah, that's, can't say it any better. So let's, let's get some good Lay you an opportunity to give some advice. And one of the things that we're looking for is that, you know, the, we're in a challenging time right now, right? Um, it's funny because just listening to you explain it, I guess I do fit in the leader's position because uh, I don't, I don't care that it's a troubling time. I, I don't care that you feel 
what you feel like. Just go do the job. Like you signed on for a purpose. You know, we all signed on for this job. And if you don't like it, go get another one. But if you're going to keep this one, go do the damn job correctly the way you're supposed to. Because if not, you're actually taking the seat of somebody who could be doing the job correctly, but you're in the way. So my first question for you would be, if the person listening to this this podcast is a brand new officer, not really sure what they're doing or why they're here, and I'm sure, and this is the difference that I talk about the academy is, you know, I, I have family support and you had family support. And, you know, it's very important that you have that in this job. And if you go home and your family doesn't support your job choices, you have a lot of built up uh, anxiety in that regard. But let's just take that, that new officer and he's hoping they made the right decision. He or she hoping that they're going to get all that they expect out of it. What advice would you give to that new officer that's just looking out on the horizon and doesn't have the benefit that we have to know that this ride is worth it? What, what advice would you give them? Well, to me, there are only two reasons to take up this profession, all right? Uh, that is leadership, in other words, how, how you are going to develop it. You want to run things. You want to be in control. You want to be a hard charger. You want to move up in the right. You want to influence others, influence outcomes. And it's service, right? It should be for both. But the, the, if there's anything outside of those two, either to serve or, or to lead, well, this is, is a poor choice uh, of a profession, <laughs> right? Uh, because too many of us, uh, see people get into it because they want to do line dancing or uh, juggling and, and you things. I want to consider doing. being a barista. <laughs> hey, I, I, I saw a, a quote the other day by um, uh, Nick Saban. I was just in Alabama and they shared this quote with me, and it's so true. Nick Saban said that it, if you want to make everyone happy, sell ice cream. <laughs> right? Leadership is probably not for you. Right. Well, leadership is a, a reason to get in there to show people I have these skills. I have something to offer because leadership is all about sacrifice. Uh, it is sacrificing your popularity, sacrificing uh, what you prefer. It, it's about leading for the greater good. And then service is about humbling yourself to the point that you want to see others have, even if it means you never get a chance to. Right. And I think that right now, what I would say to someone young and new in this position, there has never been a better time to do those two things, lead and serve, than right now. All right? Now, you have to prepare yourself. First, it's mentally. Then it's build a group around you that will support you through the, the good times and the bad. Support, is it prepare yourself physically. And then you have to go ahead and get out there and start leading and or serving. It's best when you do both. That's when you'll rise the highest, be the most gratified in your career. But leading and serving is a daily call to arms. And today it's truly all hands on deck. True. Has I, to be. And, and thank God for voices like yours. You know, I never want to minimize any one of those positions on that team. They're on every team in America, including in most people's households, right? Right. I say it this way. I love to lead. I really do. And I do it until my wife gets home. Right. And then she, <laughs> and then she kind of makes me do other stuff. Right. <laughs> and then you but become a builder. <laughs> I, I, I go back into being a builder. And or are I want, you trouble? You could tell us. It's okay. <laughs> well, we'll I listen. Want, I want to be a builder. I want to inspire and, and motivate 
But I find out, you know, my, my youngest daughter is 19 years old. She's turning 20 this year. She really doesn't need a cheerleader as much these days. So, so, so I find them telling me things like, oh, daddy, we're really busy right now. We'll, we'll play with you later. You, you, <laughs> right. So I, I decide, all right, then I'm just going to be a good teammate in this household. I'm going to drop back to being a good teammate. I'm going to support and encourage even when I don't understand what's going on. And then I find myself doing things like binge watch and say yes to the dress. Right. <laughs> like, and, and what happens is, is I slip into being trouble and how that happens in a household is you start being quiet, you start being difficult, you start nitpicking problems, you don't laugh at the jokes, you don't offer anything insightful, and all you're doing is pumping the brakes on the progress that everyone else seems to be enjoying. Well, I'm lucky that I live in a household where my family's heard my presentation enough that my daughter or my wife will say, hey, you're being trouble, you need to get back on the team. Love it. Okay, well, this is the thing I share in common with everyone else who's being trouble in America, is usually I don't realize it. I, I don't know that they can see it. And it's so transparent. And the reason it continues to unfold is someone without that courage you mentioned in the MacArthur quote doesn't come to you and say, hey, brother, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you're not being yourself and you're certainly not being a good teammate. I need you to get a grasp on this. I'll work with you through your problems, but what I'm not going to let you do is destroy our team. Yeah. So... You know, the challenges that we're facing today, I think, are in some form intentional, as you know, which is to separate us from our communities and separate that bond of community policing, which I think we've done such a great job over the last decades doing. But, you know, with social media and it, we, have a, we have a degradation in our community relations. And the one thing that everybody knows is that we can't do this without the support of our communities. And we can't do this without, without uh, leading um, with our communities. And I've asked every speaker that I've had because we're in an age where community relationships are important. We can't do this without our community. What advice would you have? Or what opinions have you formed over the years as how an officer, an individual officer can work better with their community, how they can build their police legitimacy and build the legitimacy of their organization? Well, I would think that uh, that re-engagement has to happen on an, not just a, a daily basis, but on an individual basis. Every officer needs to realize that he or she is now representing something larger than themselves, larger than their department. They are, or they are representing the profession and this moment in time, which should be incredibly empowering, right? is we all dream of doing something larger than ourselves. And this is their opportunity. I would say that uh, they need to start with one simple understanding. Uh, and it's a quote that I love, I use in my trainings. And it says that we do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. In other words, I am impacted by the family I was raised by and the faith that I have and the job that I had. And it causes me sometimes to quickly and, and carelessly dismiss other ideas. I mean, how many times do you hear someone talking about something going on in the world, whether it's uh, welfare or uh, the Cold War with uh, Russia, and, and they sum it up in just a sentence or two. No, I'll tell you how you handle that, <laughs> right? Hey, right, right, right. Okay. Well, that's because we, we can't see it through any other lens other than our own. Right. If we're really going to be successful in this community, 
we have to quit trying to go out and convince them that our way is the only way to do things. True. We have to go out and start asking, why is it you do things the way you do? Why is it you want us to do the things you're doing? When you talk about defund the police, you've got to help me understand that because I can't see it through my lens. Right. Now, I don't know that it'll change your opinion and and it probably shouldn't. But what you should do is give them a voice because I say this, that leadership is a lot about the quality of your listening. Great advice. Right. And, you, and you're going to respond to what you hear. And I promise people in that community, whether they're getting their information from the news or whether they're getting it from the, the, the Internet, I promise they see the world very differently than we do. What we can't do is just continue to create that divide. We've got to bridge that gap. The way to do it, go talk to them about what they think, what they feel, what they've experienced. And then hopefully that opens the conversation up to get to talk about the things we've seen, think and have experienced. And you may have hit on this one, but I just want to, I have the hard question, which is always with the media and the social media scrutiny we've seen over the years. And, and I think, uh, I believe it's been an increase. Um, what's your opinion on the manner and the type of scrutiny that the police are receiving on a daily basis? And how does a young officer push through that scrutiny? Well, obviously it's completely unfair. I, I certainly b- believe it's skewed uh, to the negative. Uh, no profession in the world could survive scrutiny that you have to uh, be perfect across the board every time in every situation. Right. You and I know from being on the job and all of them out there listening know that there's no such thing as a pretty fight. <laughs> if, right? If, if, if you're in a fight, I, I was engaged in a conversation not too long back and the the guy was giving me all these opinions about how officers should, officer should be handling these things. And I asked him, I said, well, let me tell you, just to just start so we, we realize we're on the same, in the same vein in the conversation. When was the last time you were in a fight? And, and it was quiet for a second. And I said, and I'm not talking about shoving your brother and sister, you know, on Christmas morning over a toy. I'm talking about the last time you thought, if I don't choke this guy out, he's going to kill me. Right? True. Well, True. and found out that he'd never been in a fight. Right? And so we have too many people who aren't experts judging people who need to be performing like experts. Now, that's not a past for law enforcement. I actually say that because we don't have, uh, we have the luxury of not everybody being over, able to oversee our behavior, then it's incumbent upon us to oversee each other's behavior. Right? True. That's got to be job one is how do we raise the bar every day? We should never make a decision or let some words fall out of our mouth that we don't feel like we could explain to our mommy and daddy or our leader, our supervisor, our preacher, our priest, our rabbi, whomever it is that we feel accountable to in the world. We should be behaving in a way that we may have to explain that to them. If we will take up that type of attitude in our behavior, well, you'll never have to worry about explaining it to the public. Right. Usually our actions will justify themselves. It, it'll the, last way past us. Last one for you. The last reminder I'd like to give them about the media, because I talked about this just the other day. Uh, sometimes we believe the media will be our friend if we just capitulate, if we just do whatever they want <laughs> us to do. You know, if we feed them along and along. I, I realize that uh, they're a for-profit business. They're, they're not like law enforcement. And I heard it said one time that they're like having a pet snake. 
you can feed it a little bit along and along and make it less likely to bite, but you better remember it's still could bite you, yeah. right? Still, uh, still a snake. Absolutely. So make sure that we are building relationships with them that are healthy, but they are meant to be to further our calls, not theirs. Right. And we've been talking about controlling the narrative and the fact that, you know, one of the challenges in law enforcement is that every success that we have, we don't tout it. We just do our job. Right. All right. So as we wrap up and I, and I can't thank you enough for your time. I know how busy you are. What does the future of law enforcement look like to you with all the experience and what we're in right now? And I know you just came back from the NA Academy, getting to interact with hundreds of people after not being able to do so for so long and, and everybody kind of licking their wounds and it's just a definite, like, uh, uh, everybody's just feeling like nobody likes us. Everybody hates us. Let's go eat worms, you know, but how do we, how do we, what does law and what's the future look like to you based on your experience? Well, uh, the, the team leader in me would say exactly what you said earlier, that this is the time we have, we don't get to choose that. So it's time to get busy. It's time to be doing something great. Uh, we can't hide from this and we certainly don't need to waste any more time waiting for someone to do it for us. The, the politicians have figured out that they can get power through this division. The media has figured out that they can profit from this division. And some of our leaders have figured out that if they do nothing, they still get the ride to retirement. All right. For the new officer and the mid-level leader out there, well, they don't have that luxury, the luxury of any of those. And right now is the time to get to leading. And every now and then they need to be that voice of a team leader that reminds people, yeah, this sucks, but this is a time to suck it up. Right. Because it will only become more difficult on the ones who follow us if we don't get busy now. All right. Can't say any better than that, my friend. You are a team leader. I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> the, the team builder in me says that right now is a time to motivate and inspire others to do greater things than ever before. We have a tendency when things are, are troubled to pull into a shell and we want to wait till it comes back. And then we just go back out and start doing the same things again. But as a team builder, I would say that the answer to every question that is out there, the solution to every problem, the, the counter to every tough spot, trouble spot in our lives, the people out there in uniform and on those streets today, they hold those answers. That is incredibly empowering to me is that I'm not depending on leaders to do it for us. I don't believe anyone else can, but I know that every time one of those young men and young women steps out of that car, they have the ability to reshape the future for us. And I believe they will. I think right. that they're out there doing it every day. That's the inspiration and the motivation I feel. As a teammate, I realize that sometimes I'm sitting by and I'm watching things happen and people make decisions that I don't understand, but I'm still giving them my support. Because if you're going to try something crazy, now's the time to do it. If you've yeah. ever been sitting around dreaming, right there, it, it, if you've ever been sitting around saying, I have a community project that has never had a time, to, you know, that it seemed right. Well, you better be trying something now and everyone ought to jump in and support and encourage you. They ought to go ahead and give it a try because we can't just keep doing the same old thing and ever expect it to get better in the future. I agree. Absolutely. Now the voice of trouble is out there saying it's all lost. It's all over. It's hopeless. 
these are the bad leaders. This is a bad council. These are bad citizens. This is a bad profession. That's the voice of trouble. And if we listen to them, they will turn our whole team into a toxic mess. All I'm asking everyone out there listening to do is to not just follow the leader. Don't just be the leader you wish you had. This is a great time to do it, but that's not your only responsibility. I'm making a call to arms for everyone to start leading on their peer level. Lieutenants should be looking at other lieutenants and challenging them right now, not waiting for the captain to come do it. Sergeants should be challenging sergeants and patrol officers across the board should be holding patrol officers accountable. If they'll do that every day on their peer level, they'll never have to worry about heat from the top or bad decisions being a hindrance to their performance. This is the time. And that team model plays into it perfectly. Well, there's nothing I can say that will help that and it'll only ruin it. So with that, my friend, I'm going to thank you for your time and I could listen to you forever as can everybody. Uh, you're truly a, a leader, even though you don't want to believe it, you're, we have to push others to be better. And I thank you, uh, at the bottom of my heart for one, your friendship, but number two, for all you do to give leaders the hope to keep pushing forward and be that inspiration and that positive attitude. Uh, I, I appreciate that more than you'll ever know. And, and I hope that you will continue to raise to that challenge uh, as long as God lets you push in this green earth. So uh, I thank you for that, sir. Any I final words as we wrap this up? Love your professional example in my life. The personal friendship example means more than you know. But uh, I tell everyone out there, if you'll surround yourself with people like I have with Eric Daigle and so many others across the country, there is no way you'll fail because they won't allow it. You're the best. I get to see you in a few short months, right? Can't wait. All right, same here. Uh, I thank you, sir. And I will end this as I end every podcast. Help those who need your help. Protect those who need your protection. And most in all, keep yourself and others safe. Thank Amen. you.